Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey guys, this episode of the Wingman Podcast is brought to you by High Mountain Seasonings. The folks down at High Mountain Seasonings in Riverton, Wyoming have had my business since before I started working at Eastman's and way before Wingman was even an idea in my head. Um, I've been making homemade jerky and sausage and you name it, snack and sticks with their kits for a really, really long time. Uh, having the pleasure a couple years ago to go down and f- take a factory tour and film that and do a duck hunt with the, with one of the guys from the company, Brian Tucker, was a, was a pleasure. It, they have such a cool operation down there in Riverton, Wyoming. And to think that their product from little old Riverton spreads out all over the country and into Canada is mind-blowing. I know they do business internationally as well, but it's it's incredible to me. I can go in so many different places from the local grocery store to any of the big box sporting goods stores and find that product. I can go in, I can grab a box, I can take it home, and I can, within 48 hours or 72 hours, I can have some of the best goose jerky known to man. I, I can put that on a plate and you wouldn't know it's goose. I mean, a lot of guys be like, wow, this is amazing venison jerky. And it's like, hey, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, you're, you're eating goose. Like, what? This is goose? Thank you, High Mountain Seasonings. It's not just jerky kits, though, that those guys do. They have a whole ton of products. So I would recommend that you go over to highmountainjerky.com and check out the full assortment of products that they've got down there in Riverton, Wyoming. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Wingman Podcast. I'm pretty sure this is episode 73, and today I've got Colton Thompson on with the make with Makers Call Company down in Alabama. And Colton, you and I got hooked up via um, a mutual connection friend, Corey Wages, with Southern Oak SOK Tanglefoot. He welped mm-hmm. my pup Hondo and uh, put me in touch with you. You and I've been trying to get this for three. <laughs> This podcast recorded for months, man. How are you? Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm good, man. I'm just finally glad that we were able to make it happen. I know that uh, I don't know how many reschedules we had, but I, at some point I thought, man, old Todd, he's just going to give up on me. I mean, I know I flaked out a couple times and it got crazy because I, I think when we originally started, I was in the middle of a move or was about to move because my wife and I moved to a different uh, few cities over in Alabama. And so, um, uh, I, I just thought, well, man, heck, if things are getting crazy, it's going right into duck season. So I, I was like, man, I hope we can make this happen at some point. So, hey, here we are in 2023, right here at the end of duck season, and now it's happening. <laughs> yeah, no, it's perfect. It was the same on my end, dude. I felt like I was ducking you from time to time. It was like I'd have a hunt come up that I had to go film. You know, and that, that's duck that's duck season. When, when you're trying to produce duck hunting content, you get a hot you get a hot spot or get a tip, you got to go make it yeah. happen. Oh yeah, that's fly by the seat of the pants. Oh dude, and you were gracious enough to say, "Nah, not a problem. We'll get to it." And we and here we are. So yeah, I appreciate, oh, I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I guess it's a you know everything's a little bit slower in Alabama. We don't really get in a hurry, and if anybody knows me, I don't get in a hurry either. So, man, it's all good. I'm just glad we we're able to do it. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you. Well, tell us, 
tell us about Maker's Call Company first, and then we'll get into, and I'd like to talk about who you are, how you got into duck hunting, because I it doesn't seem to me like you started off right out of the gate as a little boy, as a little guy hunting ducks. No, that's that's correct. So I guess probably the best place to start would be um, when I first started waterfowl, and then we we can just progress from there because yeah, it all kind of, it all kind of flows from there. So in 2017 was my first waterfowl season. Um, I, I did not. So I was to say I'm 29 now. So 2017, um, this I just finished up year five of waterfowl. I say the end of January is, you know, that's kind of where I kind of keep my calendar. Um, so I just finished up year five of, of waterfowl for me. Um, I did grow up. You know, as a young kid, me and my dad would do the yearly squirrel hunt with uh, with the men's group at church, which I always thought was really fun. Of course, you know, I, I don't even remember us ever killing anything. It's more or less just going and eating hot dogs and, uh, you know, s'mores or whatever else we could get a hold of. Um, but that was a good time. And that was really my first experience with just the outdoors, period. And then, you know, as you get older, baseball sport or any sport whatever but for me it was baseball baseball kind of kicked off when i was five so i played baseball until i was five until uh 18 years old and at the time i was like well we just we you know as i got older and more engaged and kind of want to do more well i just played more baseball i did baseball year round and i say year round now it's year round you know for me if you did fall ball or a little bit of summer ball when i was growing up like that was a big deal like now, I'm pretty sure you can play, uh, you know, 12 months out of the year if you want to uh, at the rate things are going. But anyways, I graduated high school and went off to college, didn't play baseball in college, had opportunity to play at a small school, just decided to go ahead and pursue my academics at the University of Alabama because if I didn't, I'd have lost that scholarship. So, um, you know, didn't want to pay for student loans. So I went and got my education out of the way. And while I was there, I was like, well, I, I have a lot of free time. I didn't realize how much time baseball um, took up my time. So I was like, well, I guess I'll start deer hunting. So I started deer hunting. Um, and my dad didn't really deer hunt very much, but my uncle had some property. So he would let me go and, and he took me for the first time. So I would, I would deer hunt, you know, occasionally, not, not anything, um, not anything heavily, just kind of casually on the winter break or something. And I, and I, I really did enjoy it. And then, of course, at about that time, that would have been going from like 2011 to 2016 is when I was in college. That was, I don't know if that was the peak of Duck Dynasty. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to talk about those guys. Uh, I don't know if that was the peak of Duck Dynasty, but obviously the popularity of waterfowl really kicked off about that time. So, um, obviously, there was a lot of um, visual um, engagement for me waterfowl just from watching you know youtube videos uh of course they were on a and e because people watched cable back back then i say back then like it was 30 years ago but you know <laughs> the way things you know the way things have changed we don't even have cable between me and my wife you know we just have netflix and that's about it uh so the ease of access to it you know you'd watch a and e at night and you'd see uh you know you see the duck dynasty folks on there um duck commander crew and you know, I hate to I hate to be one of those guys because it seems to be a negative connotation 
when you get introduced to waterfowl from those guys. But man, honestly, that was probably when everything kind of started for me. I just really thought that it was pretty cool. Um, of course, you know, a lot of folks do, but um, I think those guys have done a lot of good um, for the sport. And I think they, they, they have a great representation, obviously spiritually as well. Um, so once all of that, kind of got going obviously you know waterfowl is just a lot more engaging than sitting in a deer stand too so you know there's a lot more movement you can kind of talk and chatter you don't have to sit still you know you can there's there's so many different aspects to waterfowl that are engaging you know you've got your you know you got your decoy guys you've got your um uh you know you got your guys that just scout constantly you got your guys that are obsessed with um guns you got guys that are obsessed with gear you got guys that are obsessed with calls i mean there's just so many different facets to waterfowl and there's so many different places and ways to hunt waterfowl and there's so many different waterfowl like man it's just a it's just a smorgasbord of fun that can be had and so once i started diving in into it that way i was like man this is fun like this is really really addicting uh, like I, I want, I want to do this. This looks like fun. And so in 2017, I started waterfowling and I said, waterfowling, I was trying to hunt in Alabama. There's really not much here. You can have some success, but you really got to, you know, you really got to know what you're doing. Um, so that, that 2017 season kind of kicked everything off. And, uh, for some reason I just chose calling as one of the things that I just fell in love with. You know, I was talking earlier about guys that are obsessed with decoy spreads and all that kind of stuff. Like calling was just one of those things that I was just infatuated with because I, I guess it was kind of one of those things because you got on there, you got online and read articles, watch YouTube videos, and everybody's like, not everybody can call really well. And, you know, it was just kind of a challenge. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to blow a duck call. And so, um, uh, I started learning how to blow a duck call in 2017 and all this starts to kind of run together after that. But I had um, graduated college in 2016 and moved to Birmingham. And then I got a job, I think in early 2018 and moved to Huntsville, Alabama, which is close to the Redstone Arsenal, which is where I worked. And when I moved up there, I got involved with a local DU chapter and I met a guy by the name of Elliot Farmer, extremely nice guy, and was very open to helping me out because I told him, I was like, I'm a new guy, you know, I, I want to, you know, I just want to get involved somehow. He's like, well, we go over to so-and-so's house every, uh, I think we go in every Thursday night. And he's like, you want to come over there with us. So I go over there and it's another call maker at the time by the name of Kerry Sadler. Well, I go over there literally every Thursday night for a year. And Kerry Sadler was a very accomplished caller. He was, uh, I think he had, pretty sure he qualified for the Worlds, um, and, he, and he made calls too. So uh, the funny thing was, is I never actually, I never made a call in Kerry's shop. I don't know that I ever watched Kerry make a call. I think I might have made it, saw him kind of do a couple of things, but I never watched him start to finish. I never got, I never did have the opportunity that I was mainly going for calling lessons because I wanted to learn how to blow a duck call. And so Kerry helped me do that. He said, you know, if you want to learn how to blow a duck call, I'll teach you how to blow a duck call. 
And he said, if you want to get good, he's like, you will probably want to do competition calling. So, all right. So this is 2018, I think 2000, maybe going into 2000. Yeah. 2018. So here I am one year in wanting to go blowing a competition. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> which, you know, I had progressed pretty quickly because I'd just spent a lot of time with it. But he said, if you want to get good, you need, you know, you need to learn how to blow, you know, competition call that'll help you get better. And so I did that. And, you know, I blew Carrie's call the first time. And, and he, after the competition, he's like, look, if you really want to get good, he's like, there's probably some better main street calls out there for you to blow. Cause I was, I was extremely uneducated at the time. He said, you know, you know, you need to, you need to go see somebody that is, Really, really good. And uh, he's like, I've taught you as much as I can. Go on to the next guy. And I've always appreciated Kerry for taking the time to teach me how to blow. He's been one of the guys that probably helped me advance as much as I have in a short time. Um, he said, you need to go see Rick at Echo. I said, okay, I'll go see Rick. So I made a couple trips to Rick's shop, and I'd, I'd blown a ball. I blew a boss for a year or two, and um, – and I ended up qualifying for Worlds in 2019. Uh, I won the state of Alabama um, with Rick's call. And at that point, I was just hooked. I was like, man, I've just qualified for Worlds. I and mean, people spend literally years and years trying to qualify for Worlds. And I've done it in two years. Like, I was just jacked up. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a big, fun experience. And I think I just got a little bit lucky. And I think probably the Lord was looking out for me because he knew that I didn't want to do what I was doing for my full-time occupation for the rest of my life. Um, so, you know, I was pretty jacked up in 2000. Let's see. I won, I think it was 2019 that I won the the state. Yeah. Because in 2018, I blew my first competition and I blew like 10 or 12 leading up to world in November. And cause me and my dad traveled a ton. Dad would go with me. He's like, if you want to go, I'll go with you. So me and dad traveled. We would go blowing competitions. I'd get my butt handed to me. I wouldn't make it out of the first round. And then I think one time I uh, I got runner up, met one of my great friends at that at that competition, and he and he took me on some he's took me on some really good hunts in Arkansas. Trey Morris, he's a very good guy. Um, I got runner up that first year, and then I told my dad, I'm gonna qualify for worlds. So the next time got to the 2019 state and I, and I won the competition. So that was really cool for me having that level of accomplishment early on. So like I said, calling is what got me really hooked into waterfowl. I'm just obsessed with it. I blow a duck call almost every day. Um, so when all of that happened, I said, okay, I've qualified for worlds. I want to do it with my own call then. So that's what kicked off call making in 2019 of November. So I started making duck calls in November of 2019. And in November of 2019, boy, I was turning out some turds. I mean, they were awful. Uh, I mean, you know, you don't get it right the first time. I always tell people that I had somebody in my shop the other day and I still haven't unpacked everything. And it kind of, kind of, uh, he had his little kid in here who was a hoot. His name's Scout. Matt said, man, what are those over there? I said, hey, they're not all good the first time, okay? He said, you got to learn a little bit. So they, they were some of my older calls that I had done first, and I sit here, I keep them just to look at them and be like, man, you, you, uh, you have come a long way because <laughs> they were bad. 
Um, so I started in November of 2019 making custom calls and I think I said, okay, let's come up with a name, you know, let's start selling, you know, that way, you know, that way I can make a little bit of money back. And, uh, so I started Thompson handcrafted calls and I just call it Thompson handcrafted now, just, just for short. Um, so that's where makers kind of got it, uh, kind of got it. Uh, if you lost me there, sorry, I had a phone nope. call coming in. Okay, perfect. That's where that's where makers um, got its start was from me custom call making. So in November of 2019, I was I was making duck calls, um, or had started because I wanted to figure out a way to build a duck call to qualify for worlds. That was one of my huge goals as as a call maker. Uh, so in 2019 i was making some calls and i'm trying to remember when covid had that first initial hit was it was it the end of 2019 yeah, going into 2020 spring into yeah that 2020 that's, yeah okay all right so at the time my background is in engineering i've got a civil engineering degree from the university of alabama and then i've got i'm, I'm actually one class shy of having two engineering degrees but they wouldn't let me kind of finagle my schedule the way I needed to, to get both of them. So end up graduating with one and a minor and another one, but I was working on the arsenal as a systems engineer. And so the gov I was working as a government contractor. And so when COVID hit, I mean, it all just lined up perfect because they sent us home for months. I mean, I think we didn't even, they didn't think about going back to the office until May 5th or, or, may june kind of kind of timeline and so what did i do uh, of course i had plenty of time to make duck calls so you know i was able to do instead of coming home from work and just making you know starting something what well, i could just work you know all day long and so with me accomplishing a good bit on calling you know my calling technique my calling mechanics and then being able to spend a lot of time making calls all at once. Well, I was able to streamline some stuff just by the circumstances. I hate to say that COVID was fortunate, but, you know, there were, you know, there's always a little bit of good in, in everything. And I, I just had the opportunity there to, to make duck calls a lot and work on some things. Um, so I think in early 2020, I met Travis Ward, who is my, uh, he's my business partner for Makers. So he and I both run Makers Call Company. And I think Travis and I had just chatted on Facebook or something, just in one of the call groups, there's Call Nuts. I don't even know if you know what that is, but it's a huge group of guys that are just, you know, just obsessed with duck calls. Um. I think he and I just kind of exchanged some messages and he lives in West Tennessee, Huntingdon. And that's kind of where we keep everything located makers wise. We, cause it's cause, cause West Tennessee has a bigger heritage of waterfowl. I mean, of course me initially learning about waterfowl, it was all Arkansas Stuttgart area. Well now, you know, now that I've expanded out and I've learned, you know, West Tennessee has uh, arguably probably more waterfowl heritage than, then Stuttgart and, and Arkansas. So I've got a big 
big soft spot in my heart for West Tennessee. Uh, so that's where we keep all the maker stuff kind of centralized. Uh, and, it, you know, it's easy for guys to slip in and out. They're slipping out to Arkansas, too. Um, so Travis and I started talking in 2020 early. And uh, on the custom call side of things, you know, from time to time at, at the moment, um, uh, guys would, you know, they'd make some custom calls and then it was popular to do a run of CNC calls where, you, you know, you'd take, take one of your really good customs, send it off and have it mapped and then, you know, have a run of like 24 in, in a custom, you know, in, in, in a certain color. And, and that was kind of a big thing to do back then. And some guys still do it. Uh, but we were both talking about it at the same time. And, Travis and I, and I remember sitting in the parking lot at the contractor facility that I worked at because they were kind enough to have found us a spot to go back to work instead of teleworking, um, which is probably better for them because we actually probably did some work. And, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just something about working from home. You don't really have too much initiative to do, to do much, uh, you know, just do enough to get by. Um, but at the time, I remember sitting back at our contract facility. I was on lunch, and uh, we were talking, and, and I don't know who was first, but we both were like, you know, hey, I, I thought about making a run of calls. You know, we just kind of kicked around the idea. And one of us said, well, why don't we just do it together? Why don't we just make a make a call together, and, and why don't we just start a call company, and then uh, – then you know let's 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 just release our own combined sound. At this point, I had never met Travis. By the way, Travis and I had never met. Had never met. It, it had all been on the phone through Messenger. So here we both are. Never met either of us. Neither of us have never met each other. And here we are, just thinking about you know making a call company. And if we had met, and I don't think we had, it might have been one time Travis had come down to my shop or something. But I want to say the first time Travis came down to my shop was to uh, was to either check out the prototype or to make a prototype or get or check out one of the samples that we got back or or make the prototype. I think it was to make the prototype or, or whatever. And, and I, I can't remember. We had exchanged some stuff via uh, USPS, the old United States Postal Service, but we had never actually formally met, I don't think. So here we are coming up with this grand idea, and we were like, well, let's just do it. And I said, all right. And we both, Travis and I have always agreed on everything um, to, the, to the T. I mean, we really don't argue much. Uh, we really don't argue at all. Uh, the biggest argument we've ever had is what style of T-shirt we want to have for apparel. Um, and we still argue about that a pretty good bit. Um, <laughs> that's a that's another topic for another day. Uh, but here we are going into business and 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 kicking this thing off just on a whim. We're just like, okay, let's let's just try it. And when we said we was going to do it, like, let's just do it right. So we sat around and, and tried to think of ideas. We had a lot of stupid ideas for, for names for the company and all that. And, um, I think, uh, one of us said two makers 
call company or two something and and then somebody one of us just said what about makers and i was like that's pretty sharp that's pretty quick we both kind of like yeah that's pretty what makers call company like yeah that's slick right there that that, that'll be good and then we was trying to figure out a slogan one day and travis said we we had had a bunch of them he said what about be heard makers call company be heard and we were like man that's it right there you know we both were like yeah yeah you know so at the time we were on top of the we you know we were on top of the world had no idea what to do with what we had and no idea what direction to go and a lot of the times we still feel like we're kind of blind blindly just kind of navigating our way through but um man that that's kind of how makers call company on my side started you know travis said and i and i i still learn more and more about travis travis is a quiet guy when you initially off the cuff when you get to know him he opens up more uh, travis has been making calls for longer than i mean i think you said high school because he was really really good friends with michael mclemore uh or mike mclemore and um mike mclemore is a really accomplished uh caller really accomplished call maker um very very infamous and infamous and famous around there in west tennessee and uh i, I thought he had been educated by um or travis had been educated by him now mike would never help him with anything like travis would go and uh you know travis would go make a call he's told me this story he said mike would never give me much though he said he's real tight you know real secretive about stuff travis would go make a call and he'd say hey mike you know, check this out what do you think mike would go, ah, that's pretty good you know it, it, it's a little it's a little tight but he'd never tell him you know that's it he'd never tell him how to fix it or what he needed to do so travis kind of came from a school of hard knocks there too um and uh i mean and i did too i was i was completely just aloof to call making i had never turned on a lathe i had nobody to help me show me how to make a call um, like I said, I, if I'd have known at the time that I wanted to make duck calls, I probably would have paid attention to what Carrie was doing. Well, I just, that was just not even in my, that wasn't even in my vocabulary at the moment or even in my headspace. I was just more concerned learning how to blow a call. And, uh, I was actually at work and I worked with a guy that made pipes and he had just started working there. And I think he had just moved in from somewhere maybe. And we was talking. And I said, yeah, I think I might start making some duck calls. He said, man, he said, I got me a lathe. He said, if you want to buy it, he's like, I'll sell it to you for $200. I said, man, sign me up. I said, Let, let's go. And so I still got this, I still got that lathe right behind me. I still use it uh, to this day. I don't use it for turning, turning inserts, but I do use it for polishing and, and making bands and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I st I'll never get rid of that lathe. That's that's one of those things that'll be a, you know, that, that's just cool to me. I, I remember going over to his house. He gave me a, uh, I'm trying to remember what all he gave me. He gave me a bunch, he gave me a couple things of material. He gave me some, uh, some high-speed steel tools, which needed to be sharpened. They still need to be sharpened. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I ever did. I think, I think I tried to sharpen them one time and they got dull. Um, and he gave me some sandpaper and uh, i think he tapped me on the rear end and said here you go buddy off you go and oh and he gave me a table he gave me a table i think um uh, i think he did because i remember i remember taking all this stuff home and i lived on the third floor of my apartment at the time and i just sat it on my deck so i had toted all that crap up and put it on my back deck of my apartment so um 
Yeah, at the time, I was definitely just, you know, I was just eager beaver wanting to get out there and figure it out. And that's what I've done my whole call making career is, uh, is I have figured it out all on my own. And that's, that's one of those things that carries over to makers too, from Travis and I both as we sit there and we make our own stuff. Like we come up with our own tone boards. We come up, you know, with our own designs. We don't copy anybody. We don't take something and, and scratch it here or file it there and then have it made. Like we come up, we develop everything from scratch. Like we, that that's, that's the, bones that is the foundation of what makers call company is and that's why we named it makers call company because it's you know travis is a call maker i'm a call maker so um you know that was the theme and that's kind of the that's kind of the leg that we stand on with uh with everything that is quite the story man i love yeah, it's... <laughs> i love that you just decided you wanted to do it and ran with it and figured it out i think that is the American way, and my my hat's off to you, Colton. That is really, really cool. Hey, guys, got to press pause, and this episode is brought to you by... Hey, guys, today's episode of the Wingman Podcast is brought to you by Savage. That's right, Savage Firearms. I personally am stoked to be partnering with Savage and shooting their new Renegade. I had the opportunity last year to put the Renegade through the paces on a Montana turkey hunt and perform flawlessly. Obviously, a turkey hunt is not a waterfowl hunt where I'm burning up lots and lots and lots of ammo, but I've had a chance to put that same Renegade through the paces shooting skeet, sporting clays, and trap this summer, and it has not failed me once. I specifically have not cleaned it. I want to see how much dirt, grit, grime and punishment that Renegade can take before it malfunctions and I haven't found the limit yet. I've been super impressed with the fit and feel of the Renegade. This thing's just tough. It's tough as nails and if I'm looking for a waterfowl specific shotgun, I'm looking for something that I can use as a canoe paddle if I need to and the Renegade is going to do that and still go bang at the end of the day. You know, there's been uh, lots said over the years about shotguns. But for me, I need a gun that shoots where I point it, that goes bang every single time, and that throws good, even, consistent patterns. And the Renegade has all three. Plus, I can customize the fit with the stock, and that is huge. Because if you can't, if you don't have a shotgun that fits you, you're probably not going to hit very much. And that's a problem. Shotgunning's an art. Rifle, rifle shooting's a science. Savage has kind of blended the two with the Renegade and brought all kinds of crazy features to bear with the new Renegade. Go online, check it out at savage.com, but more importantly, get your hands on one. See if it, see how they feel. Check it out for yourself. I have been super impressed so far, and I'm looking forward to putting that Savage Renegade to work over the course of the next season. <laughs> That, yeah, I appreciate wow. it. Wow. So what about hunting then? I mean, you, you got into this and the calling aspect of it got you into the hunting, but you don't spend all your time yeah. making calls. You got to get out in the field once in a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do get out in the field uh, every once in a while. Um, unfortunately, not as much as I would like to because I've quickly learned when you're in the outdoor industry, you do not get to hunt as much as you would like to. Uh, so 
uh, you know, the past couple of years, we've had some good hunts, some good quality hunts, but the, but it's been few and far between because we've been so busy. Um, you know, and it's, it's a good problem to have. I have no complaints and I will happily be busy through duck season for the rest of my life. Uh, it, it, as long as we're busy, uh, in a good way. Uh, but you know, when we do get to hunt, Travis has a couple leases in West Tennessee that, that are very fruitful. And, um, I, we've got some good relationships with guys out West. Um, there's a, there's a wonderful place, uh, Stewart Ranch in Warica, Oklahoma, Clay Force there on the 7S Ranch. I believe I said that right, Clay. If not, you can text me and correct me later. Um, he has put together a probably one of the one of the best lodges in the United States. I mean, it's absolutely impeccable, and he has left no stone unturned, no detail undone. He has done. I mean, he's poured everything into that place. And Clay, on top of that, is a quality individual. Um, I was supposed to be able to go out there this year um, to hunt with Clay and experience that. Unfortunately, my wife, uh, we had the flu at the first of December. We had the good flu, one that put you down for a while. And then, uh, and my wife ended up having some other health, health problems after that, uh, you know, in adjacent to the flu. And by the time everybody got better, duck season was about halfway over and I had to cancel all my plans, but I did get to skip up to West Tennessee and, and hunt, a, hunt a few times with Travis and we've had some good hunts, um, out there and uh next year we hope to get on the road a little bit more we're hoping to go to uh canada um with thunderbird outfitters uh nick costa runs that uh runs that establishment there we're going to try to slip up there with him probably go see our friends out at cadillac creek um toby and them toby's a one of the nicest individuals i've ever met and has a does a very good job of making sure his clients are taken care of and he's very uh open-armed and welcomed us in um very very nicely and showed us a good time when we were out there so you know we're hoping to um hoping to get to do that more of course travis's heart is in west tennessee it's where he grew up you know there's he's got a lot of heritage there he's lived in Huntington his whole life and he you know that's where he loves to hunt now me i like to get out and ramble a little bit i like to go to these other places i think hunting out west is just really cool and really unique so those are those are kind of on my on my list and uh you know i mentioned earlier trey morris trey has been a good mentor for me as far as getting me into waterfowling the right way and being a uh being a uh a good kind of um I'm trying to think of a good word here trying to be a good uh well, mentor i already used that and we'll go ahead and use it again he's been a great example there we go great example that's what i was trying to think of He's been a good example to me, showing me how to hunt the right way and have the appropriate ethics going through. And, you know, and he's introduced me to Arkansas timber, which is probably like most, you know, that's, that's my favorite. Uh, so, um, yeah, man, that's that's the hunting. You know, we uh, we had a really good um, I'm sorry if my shop door is making any racket back there. Let me know. Um uh, uh, we, we've had some good hunts in West Tennessee. We had one the other day, and that was my last hunt of the year. I think we shot a couple uh, – I think we shot a two-man limit. Out of a, there's just three of us there, so we did pretty good. We picked on them a little bit, and, uh, uh, you know, any day out there is is good. I, I can't complain. So. No, that's awesome. That that's, Yeah. It's always interesting for me to talk to folks from different parts of the country and see what their hunting is, is like, how, how things mm -hmm. are going for them. 
you know, this, this year for us was, it started out pretty fast and furious. We had lots of birds right out of the gate. Um, mm -hmm. And we got that big freeze out here where it was 50 below. And a lot of our birds hung tight. Um, they didn't, they didn't leave. Um, mm -hmm. they, they, we, we didn't get enough snow to push them out and the temps mm -hmm. pushed other birds in which was really good mm -hmm. and now at the at the you know our season just ended tuesday at the end mm -hmm. of it for us um birds were pretty stale we had a very mm -hmm. stable, very stable weather pattern where mm -hmm. it was in the upper teens low 20s every night and it would get up to about 32 33 degrees mm -hmm. 34 degrees during the day birds were feeding at night we didn't get <laughs> We didn't have birds leave. We didn't have birds come in. We were just had mm -hmm. the birds that we had. And yeah. the last couple times out was you worked for them. You know, we had yeah. instead of killing instead of killing a three or four man limit in thirty minutes, forty five minutes, mm -hmm. it took you know four or five hours. Which yeah, still I like those hunts. I like the mm -hmm. hunts that you're there most of the day because it, mm -hmm. it's more drawn out. It seems like. For me, I don't get lost in the chaos of a quick shoot when the, when you have time to really soak it up and enjoy that drawn out part of the part of the hunt. I like that better. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way Travis hunts. You know that I, I used to be, you know, daylight to about eight thirty, and I wanted to get to the house. Like I either we shot them or we didn't. Now Travis hunts a little bit different. They've got some nice blinds, so they get there and hang out all day and. We did that, and, man, I fell in love with just those steady hunts, those, you know, it wasn't a big burner. You could, you know, you could just, you know, you could work a group of ducks, get a couple to peel off, you know, shoot a bird or two, work your dog, come back, you know, and wait 15, 20 minutes. Here comes another one because it kind of builds your anticipation up. You know, it gets you it, – it's kind of like that, you know, that, that December 1st feeling is what I call it. You know, you get excited about Christmas, you know, Thanksgiving's over and it's December and, you know, you're just getting, man, you just get fired up about it. So I've definitely this year have changed my mindset on sitting a long time. I, you know, if I've got a nice blind and we're cooking food, man, I'm in, I'll hang out all day. Yep. I'm with you hundred percent on that one. I, I really enjoy those longer drawn out hunts. You know, I, I had the opportunity to hunt with, with my dad and my brother, for the first time in probably 15 years um mm -hmm. a couple weeks back and we had a couple of hunts where we were down there for four or five hours and man just so much fun just yeah, so much absolutely. fun to sit relax catch up work birds you know let the big groups do their thing and and work the singles and pairs you know and 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 get them yep. worked in and really drill down deep concentrate on the dog work too that that's a big thing for me you know, yeah. I, I, I picked up that, I picked up Hondo from, from, uh, Southern Oak Kennels a year and a half. Mm -hmm. It was two. Yeah. He's, he's not quite two. Um, and I, I held him back for an entire year. This was his first year in the field and mm -hmm. actually working and man, it just paid dividends, but being able to take that extra time and just drill down into those fundamentals and make sure he was stout, just staunch mm -hmm. was just huge just huge yeah yeah absolutely and people don't understand that so i mean i i trained i trained full-time last year um as a retriever trainer so i do have somewhat of an education level on this there's a lot more guys out there they're a lot more educated on dogs than i am i have to give them guys credit 
Um, you know, cause when I quit my full-time job in February of 21, no, I'm sorry, January of 21. So it's been two full years now. I was, I was training and making calls at the same time because I didn't have enough call sales to, to do it full-time. And then, you know, I had to compensate somehow. Um, and I picked up retriever training about the time, same time that I was call making or calling. I'm sorry. So, um, fell in love with both and, and, you know, unfortunately have had to pick a direction to go. Um, obviously calls is, is the direction that we're going. Uh, cause I had a lot of people sit me down and say, Hey man, you're a good dog trainer. Um, and Corey, Corey was the main one. Corey's like, man, you're a great dog trainer. You do really well. Um, he said, but you need to make duck calls. He said, you got a talent. He said, you, you got a good opportunity here. He's like, you need to make duck calls. And he told me this several times. And I, I talked to him this morning. As a matter of fact, I had used to talk to him about once a week, check in on him. And, uh, he said, and I told him, I said, man, I'm going to tell you what, um, I've had a lot of things kind of go my way in the call world on the custom side and, and for makers, uh, for, uh, for us. And I said, I just want to tell you, thank you for, being a butthole at the time and telling me to uh to pursue call making and, and duck calls instead of dog training so um okay. so you know i, I told you it, it's a running joke i always tell him i said well heck you right again uh because i there's times when we'd be training he's like, oh, you might want to do this i'll like, oh, shut up that's fine i'll get it you know and, he, and i'll turn around and I'll, I'll do what he says and i'm like well you know you right again here he is uh so uh Corey's a good friend i love him to death and i do just about near anything for him but uh but but going back to what you said about holding your dog back and that's something that hopefully if nobody cares about duck calls listen to this please just just if you're not 100 percent sure just don't do it don't don't put your dog in the situation because it can only go bad that's the only option. If he's too young and he's not trained well enough, don't do it. There's nothing good that can come out of it. You might get lucky and he do okay, but there is nothing good that can come out of it. So please, if your dog is not quite ready and he's not quite old enough, just hold him back. Just give him one more year because then you got nine, you know, probably nine more years uh you know seven to nine more years of great dog work don't right. do that first season and mess a bunch of stuff up because now you got problems from from early on because i'm telling you and it astounds people i've had these phone calls and conversations with clients in the past they say you know hey he did this this and this this year and, it's, and then they go back the next year he's like man he's still doing this and i was like well it's it's because it happened the first year you know, they, they don't forget those situations. You know, dogs are very place-oriented, situation-oriented. They remember duck season. Because I'm telling you, you know, you take January 31st, whenever your duck season goes out, and then you go to December 1st of the, of the same year, I'm telling you, that dog, as soon as you hit the gravel road that you normally turn on, as soon as you go, as soon as you wake up early, those dogs know it. They're not, they're very intelligent and, and a, and a well-bred retriever knows it. They know it. And they all, it's almost like they just have a out of body experience and they immediately go back to what they did last year. Okay. You know, they just, you know, they, it just imprints on them. So with that say that works in your favor. So when the first time that you can expose your dog to doing it the right way, well, the odds are a lot higher over the over the dog's lifetime 
that they do it the right way the rest of the way, right? You know, so, it was interesting, Colton. I did something with Hondo this year, too, that I <clears> didn't have the opportunity, not much of an opportunity, to do with all, any of my other dogs. My old my old dog, Mackinac included, um, I was able to train him in the same place where we where I do most of my hunting where he's yeah. gonna, where he's going to get the bulk of his reps mm -hmm. um, I was able to to run drills with him and I didn't start running drills down there until about a month before season started we did mm -hmm. we did other places we did other other things um a lot of a seal and a lot of what we, we what we run into out here is we're hunting rivers. We're hunting mm -hmm. fast, fast, small rivers. And uh, I ended up, because those rivers swell up in the summertime with snow with snow melt, they're not safe to put a dog in for a lot of the summer. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm forced to run on a lot of still water, which we don't have a lot of in Wyoming, small, mm -hmm. small impoundments or reservoirs. And mm -hmm. it's totally different. I mean, night and day different where he makes a mark on a lake or on a still water that that mark's not going to move it's not going anywhere mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he makes a mark on a river it's not there when he gets to the spot where he marked it he's got to figure yeah. out to take a different line um mm -hmm. anyway having the ability to, to take him down to the, to the place where he was going to get the bulk of his hunting reps in and throw bumpers and just work, even working hand thrown singles was yeah. huge you know right down to place you know this is your spot this is your place outside the blind this is where you're going to be and we do it over and over and over again and i went right back to the treat and the clicker to where it was like boom there he is on place and he gets rewarded for that and then we start working. Yeah. we start working doubles all right i'd throw i'd have a bumper a, a single mark in the in the river and then a blind on an island or across the river on the other side. And it paid huge dividends because mm -hmm. he was just on it. He knew, mm -hmm. he knew the angles of things. Cause it was, it was like, we practiced how we played and it was a big, mm -hmm. big advantage for him. And it set him up for success. Big time. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it's just like Michael Jordan, his first year in the NBA versus Michael Jordan in his 10th year of the NBA. Yep. Like, it's still – both are still equally genetically talented. They're, it's the same genetics. It's the same. It's the same. But with the 10th year, Michael Jordan, he's got some more technical moves. He's a little bit more advanced, and he no, knows what he's doing. If you spend the dime to teach the dogs to do things the right way and you don't rush it, you're going to have a higher level of success. Right. I mean, you just are. It's just, 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 it's just basic, basic statistics there. And, and people, um, people don't, um, understand that. And look, I get it. It's exciting. We got a dog. He, he is, he is talented. He can go pick stuff up and bring it back. You know, he relatively, you know, he sits on a whistle, um, in, you know, in training. He, he takes his cast and training, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Dogs are different at hunt tests, especially at hunt tests. Different in hunting. It, it's just you you got to – nobody – it's a little bit of regression when you go hunting because you have to go back to the basics. Like you, sometimes you have to chain your dog up. You're like, oh, this dog's never broke. 
well, you know, sometimes you just have to time out, you know, for the first couple of hunts for them to realize, hey, you know, I, I, I'm not supposed to break. You know, it's just sometimes you have to go back to the basics and do that. A lot of people don't want to do it. I get it. It's a pride thing. I'm, I'm prideful, too. And, and, and I'm and I am um, and I'm guilty of it sometimes. So I get it. But if anything, just go slow. There's no rush. There's really no rush um, at all, you know. I'm now at the point where I probably wouldn't even hunt a dog until they're two, two and a half years old. I mean, I, you know, up until that point, we're hanging out, being buddies, learning the tricks of the trade, you know, just getting everything dialed in. And by the time we go hunting, you know, I want to have a level of confidence in that dog, um, which, by the way, will help that dog do better. Because then if something goes wrong, we know how to fix it and we don't freak out. And then right. dogs are like mirrors too. If, if, if we're freaking out, then they start freaking out, you know, they mimic what we're doing. So all in all, it's a good idea just to go slow and, and take it easy and enjoy the process. If you fall in love I, with the process, man, it's, it's, it's golden. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent, Colton. It, it was, it was awesome to see, you know, and here's another thing I did and it'd be interesting to see you know, I, I think you probably agree with me on this. Is I didn't I didn't shoot near as much this year. I handled the dog, and and, and that, was, that was huge. You know, it was funny though. You start the first couple times of the first couple times that Savage Renegade starts belching out. You know, mm-hmm. federal black cloud. <laughs> dog, it gets pretty western in a hurry. You know, and, yeah, uh, and yeah. the dog. And I'm not going to say he never broke. He did, you know, but we mm-hmm. fixed it. We brought it back. We fixed yeah. it. And a couple times, like, okay, early on, if I stood up to shoot, he'd break. And I'm like, yeah. All right. so we just, I stopped shooting and drilled down to the point where it's like, we had ducks. There were so many times that I, before shooting light was, was on, I'd have ducks land in the decoys five mm-hmm. to ten yards off the end of his nose mm-hmm. this, this is a dog that's a year and a half old and he just sit there mm-hmm. and watch yeah absolutely and he, i mean he, that he's excited but he knows yeah. he know he knows he can't go and then i call we i call a shot and boom about 50 50 that first bird he'd break like okay yeah. but after that first one and then towards those as the hunts we hunted more and more and more he was he was solid and i'm like that a yeah. boy you know that that's yeah. good and then we can work on you know mm-hmm. multiple birds we can work on hunt dead we can work on blinds on the other side of, of a river you know swimming a fat swimming the whole width of a fast river we can work on all that when i have that steadiness and i don't know it, it was it was awesome it, it was awesome yeah. i think you're spot on when you when you say that I also had the good fortune to have an older dog that I could rely mm-hmm. on. Um, yeah. And I, I could, I could put Hondo in on and let him watch kind of apprentice him, if you will, because I yeah. had, I had a working dog already, you know, that mm-hmm. had his share of bad habits, has his share of bad habits that I did not want to repeat with, <laughs> with Hondo, you know? Yeah. They all have bad habits, you know. It's bad habit management. That's what it is. You know, oh, you got yeah. some that, yeah. I mean, that, that's just how it is. And dogs are not robots, but you know, and that's what I think. That's what you have to keep in mind when you buy a dog and you're going to take them hunting. 
you know, it, that's the responsibility that you take on when you buy the dog. You know, if you have to not shoot to keep your dog safe, to keep everybody else safe, if you have to, you know, do, you have to do whatever you have to do to keep everything in line and keep everything kind of smooth operating and it doesn't impact anybody else's hunt. You know, that, that's just, that's just part of the responsibility that you, that you sign on for. And, you know, if you're, if you're honest with yourself and you say, Hey, I just don't know that I wouldn't want to shoot if there's a lot of ducks sitting in my face. Well, you probably don't need to bring a dog then. You know, you probably just need to leave your dog at home because that that right there, if your dog's not going to be steady with a lot of ducks in your face, and you and you know you don't have enough self control or enough desire to sit there and not shoot and run the dog. Well, you, again, you need to leave your dog at home. Let somebody else bring their dog, or you walk up there and pick up the ducks because you got to be able to do it the right way, and that's the responsibility that you take on when you buy a good old retriever. So. Um, you know, oh, I agree. how it is. I agree, man. I, I agree with you on that one. It's, you know, I was fortunate enough to get introduced to, to hunting and especially waterfowl hunting at a very, very early age and mm -hmm. always had a dog always in, and we, and we had meat dogs, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like get out of the way of that dog's bringing that bird, no matter what, no matter where it is, dog's going to do it, but it's not going to wait for you to send it, you know? Um, yeah. And and that's what we had growing up. We didn't know any better, you know. And my, so right. my first few dogs, that's what they were. And they, man, they put a they put a lot of ducks on a strap over the years. They put a lot of geese mm -hmm. in piles over the years that we would have lost. We wouldn't have not. We would have not gotten. But as mm -hmm. they, as you do more and more and more and more of it, you realize, man, there's more. There's more to this. There's more to this. There's there's uh, there's another level to this that I want to get into. That I want to, mm -hmm. I want to have access to. You know, and everybody, you know, it, there's it's very hard to get the opportunity to work with a trained retriever to hunt with a very well trained retriever, a very good retriever. You know, there's not a lot of them out there that, um, you know, a lot a lot of the test dogs don't even hunt. A lot of field trial dogs don't even hunt. You know, the the, the thing about it is, is once you actually hunt with one, you're like, okay, all right there's a difference here like there's there's a substantial difference and i i get it now while we don't just want to meet dog because you it's just a it's just a better tool for the job i mean it, 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 they are so they're more they're more um, enjoyable to be around you know yeah um, yeah you know and it's, it's kind of like i i think of my old dog as a meat dog but mm -hmm. he's got ridiculously good manners at the same time you know he's not yeah not running around and knocking stuff over and he's not in your way and he's not right not doing dumb things he's just not going to wait for you to, to, to sit <laughs> you stand up to you, he's going to go get that bird and uh yeah and it's honestly for for a lot of the stuff we hunt out here with our with our super fast water yes yeah. if you're paying attention and you got a couple of buddies that you know and they know your dog that's not necessarily uh -huh. a bad thing because that dog is out there licking yeah. split. that bird doesn't have a chance to get away and yeah but yeah but there's safety concerns too because you could if you're if there's been multiple times that i've showed up to hunt a spot that it, with a buddy that i've never been into and i'll walk up and go i'm not putting my dog in here well, what do you mean you're like i'm not putting him in here dude there's four log jams down less than a hundred yards down river that he's going to get sucked into trying to fetch ducks out of this fast water. Ain't going to yeah. happen. We either need to go hunt a different spot or we need to set up. So we shoot these ducks and they fall on the bank, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's understanding those things too. And I think when I was younger, I, I didn't, I didn't have that, that grasp, 
you know, I just, yeah. I just shoot and figure it out later. And now yeah. I look at the situation and go, I need to set up this way or, or I need to do it this way, or I'm not hunting here because it's not, you know, it's not feasible. It's not safe for us. It's not safe for the dog or whatever it might be. You know, it's just, there's more to it than just going out and hunting. There's, there's, right. there's doing it the right way. And, and it takes some, it takes some thinking through and honestly, some experience. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we don't worry about log jams down here. It sounds like y'all are in a little bit more treacherous territory, but we are. we're more or less. You can hurt a dog yeah. here real easy, you know, between <laughs> between the fast water, you know, and, and honestly, my last hunt of the season um, was a li- wasn't, was not the last day of our duck season. It was a couple days before that, but uh, just due to work, work that i wasn't going to be able to get back out and then um hondo hondo came up lame after the last hunt and it's just mm-hmm. because he's a young dog he goes hard and yep. he's, he's running on on cobble you know on river rock and river rock out here is all it's all it's not smooth you know they stick a yeah. foot in there and it goes between two rocks and it's hard on dogs mm-hmm. and yeah so he came up he came home and we fed him, you know, fed him and, and put him up so he could rest a little bit. And he came out of the crate that afternoon walking on three legs. And mm-hmm. you know, I look, looked at him and he had a foot, pretty foot sore on his on his left front, you know, and it was a little swollen. And I palpated mm-hmm. a little bit, felt around, and he he didn't he tolerated it pretty good. But I said, All right, let's let's give that, let's see what he does. And within five minutes, he's walking around with no limp. And I thought, oh, okay, he sprained something, nothing's broken. And he sprained mm-hmm. some. Yeah, a couple of days he was fine, but I wasn't gonna yeah. wasn't gonna keep putting him in there and keep aggravating that injury. You know, yeah. So, like, yeah, we had a good season, man. I think I, I tallied it up. I think he picked up two hundred and fifty three birds. You know, um, man, that's pretty good for his first year. I was pretty pleased with that. Yeah, you keep on that. And by the time he turns five, man, he'll be what about a thousand? Yep. Yep. Right. I don't yeah, know. I don't know what my old dogs got. <laughs> um, yeah. and, that, and that was one where it's like, all right, he sits, he comes, he stays, and he fetches yeah. stuff. Let's go hunting. <laughs> yeah. Man, I've got a five year old. She'll be five in February, and she's still very young. She's a little small dog, you know. And I'm I'm already toying around with the idea of getting another one. I don't know if I will or not, but um, you know, I'm, She's going to be an old dog at some point, so I guess I'll have to start the process over because I, I think I'll always have a dog, but it'll be interesting to see how I approach this process versus how I did the last one now yeah. that I have some utilities in my tool belt. Well, that's the thing, man. I I think the, the, more, you do, the more you do something, the more you realize, you look back and go, okay, mm-hmm. I did that, that, and that right, and I'm happy with that, but I want to. I didn't do that right. I didn't do that right. I could do that better. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you go back and you take that inventory and, and uh, it's just, it's just different. You know, I, when I, yeah. I was, it was funny when I picked up Hondo and I had a chance to meet Corey and visit mm-hmm. with him and we got to talking and he kind of was asking me, you know, what, what kind of life Hondo was, could expect. And, and I told him, I was like, well, he's going to pick up a lot of waterfowl. He's going to hunt. He's probably going to hunt pheasants. He's going to do some upland hunting and he's going to mm-hmm. spend a lot of time just being a family dog in the outdoors of the, of the Rocky Mountain West. I said, he's, he's going to be in elk camp, you know, he's going to run grizzly bear duty, you know, and he, and he, 
I said that, and boy, his eyes, he's like, what, what do you mean by that? What's that? <laughs> I was like, Al, that just means he goes along on elk hunts in grizzly bear country and has my back by, because uh, he can see in the dark and he can smell and hear better than I can. Yeah. I, like, oh, I okay, that. okay. I was like, yeah, dude. I said, yeah. my old dogs, my old dogs saved my bacon a couple times on elk hunts, but let me know that the man in the brown suit was hiding in the trees. So, yeah. <laughs> There's man, always, that's what. the best thing about dogs, man, is they're they're not just a tool for fetching ducks, you know. Mm-mm. They're yeah. awesome. Just part of part of your I, life. Oh, I know, man. I got, you know, I got Delta about the same time that I think I got hurt in two thousand eighteen. You know, so I was, you know, right about the time that I started. I mean, that dog even even if I have a better performing dog, there will never be another dog that I love more than that. That's just that's just how it is. She's done a lot for me, you know, and that was about the time, you know, it's interesting that I called that I named her Delta. It wasn't because it was, it was only because that was kind of a general waterfowl term, I guess I named her that, but you know, it's, it's interesting that she got named Delta. Delta is used for a uh, change um, in mathematical terms. I think it's a, a rate of change. So, think that's right here here i am trying to use my engineering degree again um somebody somebody i'm sure is probably listening like no nah, man you're not right but it, it does have something to do with change and i think it's right to change um so it's interesting to see you know have her name to delta and then at that time that's kind of when everything started shifting and changing for me uh, so i thought that was pretty cool um heck yeah man have her that's, as that's, my as my first awesome. you know real retriever so that's, that's yeah awesome. it's yeah man I'm, I'm i love that dog uh dogs will always have a very special place in my heart i'm i'm a big big retriever guy um obviously british labradors have a have a spot in my heart i may i may traipse down the road of the uh of the american field bred dogs uh he, you know next time just kind of play around and experiment but british dogs will always have a very special place in my heart for sure yep. i grew up with american dogs and i've had mm-hmm. both and mm-hmm. trained both, hunted with both, and there's a reason that the last two have been Brits. You know, yeah. Uh, my old dog is a my old dog Mackinac is a, is a double T British kennel dog. Yep. Back mm-hmm. when Haynes, back when Haynes Floyd owned it. Um, yep. And then of course Hondo's a Southern Oak dog, and so yeah, I I like them. I like I like their temperament. I like their drive. I like yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Barton does a great job. I think he's got it figured out what kind of dogs he wants to, to breed. And mm-hmm. yeah, he just does a good job. And I'm, and I'm super happy with it, but uh, yeah. Hey, I appreciate you coming on, dude. We've been talking for like an hour and 15 minutes. And <laughs> okay, I'm man, keeping, that's time flies. I'll tell you. Work. Oh, you're good, man. I'm, I Fridays are kind of my, I, I've got every, somebody asked me the other day, they said, uh, you know, when do you work? I was like, well, I guess just kind of when I can, you know, I'll, I'll work on a, you know, I might work all day Saturday and then I may take, you know, I'll take Sunday off and I might work Sunday afternoon. And I may take Monday off and I may go on a tear where I work three or four or five days in a row. And then I, you know, it just kind of willy nilly, just kind of, you know, I'm fortunate enough that this job is, is full time call making. Um, and it allows me to have the flexibility to, you know, go spend time with family when I need to, um, and just kind of dip out and do some things that I need to do. So, um, no, nah, man, I, you know, out of your call lineup, I mean, if, mm-hmm. if I if I click on it, I got it pulled up right here. I click yeah. on your call lineup, man. You got the Maker's Monarch, the Maker's Origin, the Maker's Cut, 
Maker's Shortcut, a Maker's LA Cut, and a Maker's LA mm -hmm. Shortcut. Yeah. What are, what are the differences in those calls? And if somebody's mm -hmm. looking to get started with a Maker's Call, what would you recommend? You know, what what's your yeah. favorite one? Yeah. So our first call to come out was the, I've got a bunch of them sitting right here because I'm sitting in my tuner table. The first one that we came out with was the origin. This is kind of our bread and butter right here. This is the call that let's see, there we go. This is the call that started it all. The is the origin. That's what we started with. That was Travis's baby. Um, that was the first call that we came out with in late 2020, right before duck season. I think we did eighty to hundred and twenty of them. So that was our first season. That was kind of all we did for uh twenty twenty. And um or 2020 going into 2021 and the following year we introduced the uh maker's cut which is kind of my baby uh travis and i you know travis did the bulk of the origin i did the bulk of the maker's cut both kind of added some, a little bit of uh, input on them and um then this year we introduced the monarch which was a combination of both Travis and I. So Travis's baby, my baby, and then kind of a combined sound here with the Monarch. And then we've also got a spec call that we're working on called the Tarmac that will hopefully be ready uh, coming in the, uh, in the off season or right before duck season. But um, but if, if, if a guy is wanting to – we'll touch that first. If a guy's wanting to just get into it, uh, 10 out of 10 – recommend the origin the origin is our kind of i call it like automatic duck i mean it doesn't matter kind of whatever you put into it it's got that built-in rasp that built-in kind of body and thickness to it that that's that that you need uh because you don't want to call to sound too thin so the origin is a really good call and the good part about the origin too is even if you're in a really really advanced caller the origin will do literally everything that you wanted to do um you know it's a meat style call so you could blow in a meat competition with it now it's little brother the monarch i say little brother the monarch's actually louder than the origin the monarch is definitely built for the stage um as far as meat contest goes now obviously that transitions well into the field because of the technicality that's built into this call you know this call is kind of you know you, you got to be able to drive it but if you can drive that call Man, this thing will flat out run. You can do your squeaks, your squeals. It's got a higher pitch, a higher tone to it. It's a really, really fun call to run. And then the maker's cut is the cut down. It's the it's the cut down of the group, and that's where the other two cut downs have come from. I'm sorry, the other three, I guess, technically cut downs have come from. They've all come off of this maker's cut. The maker's cut is a uh, – it, it, it's a cut down style call. It's got a 14 mil read. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's our, you know, cut down cost base model. And it is comparatively to the LA cut is a little bit cleaner on the top. It still has the rattle in the middle and the bottom. And it's got a touch more hold in the call, a little bit more back pressure. So when you're calling and the call is kind of pushing back on you, it's got a little bit more of that. It's got a cleaner top end. So for guys that have a lot of thick air, a lot of hot air, Maker's Cut's a good fit. Now for the guys that have a little bit cleaner air, the LA Cut's a good fit because the LA Cut is choppier and more rattle on the top. That's all it is on the top. It doesn't clean up. 
it is very rattling on top and then the same similar maybe a little bit choppier um in the middle of the bottom and the la cuts a little bit looser on the bottom end too so you can finesse your notes just a little bit better depending on your air some guys can finesse the notes a little bit better on the maker's cut some guys can finesse it a little bit better on the la cut i tend to i tend to blow the la shortcut a lot because i just like how that call sets up it's it, it's very easy to do a feed it's a loose choppy feed i'm just in love with it so the short versions of both of the maker's cut and the la cut they do the same thing to both calls raises the pitch makes the feed a little bit quicker and uh probably makes the call a little bit easier to run and raises the pitch i think i already said that but it just makes the call a little bit easier to run those longer barrels tend to uh you know drop the pitch of the call and um get a little bit more deeper tone so that's the quick and dirty on those that's cool man that's i I like having you break that down for people because when they go on your website they're going to be able to look at that and go okay Mm -hmm. why would a guy want i well i'm gonna throw Mm -hmm. this out there yeah i like i like a higher pitch call for where i hunt our Mm -hmm. river bottoms are not you know we're hunting wide open country out here Mm -hmm. we hunt a lot of fields we hunt windy conditions. Wyoming is windy. A lot of the Western states, you're going to hunt in wind. And I, mm-hmm. I just feel like for a general purpose call, that higher tone is easier mm-hmm. for those birds to hear. They can hear it from yeah. a longer ways away. They can key in on it better. And if mm-hmm. I if I get ducks that are really, really spinning and really working, a lot of mm-hmm. times I'll drop my higher pitch call and switch to that raspier, rattlier mm-hmm. call that I can do I can just get, I can finesse it more. And it's, it's a little quieter. Yeah. It's a little harsher tone. What, what's your take mm-hmm. on that? Ooh, that's a good question. Man, I'm torn. You know, it just depends on the day, just to be honest with you, because I usually keep a couple different calls on my lanyard and I see what works that day. You know, there's days where a deeper, bassier call, for whatever reason, whether the bass kind of tends to, to, uh, job with them a little bit more but sometimes they tend to respond to that more. now there's days where you can pour a you know a higher pitch call in them and really hammer on them um and and really really put a put a feed call on the on the ducks and it tends to work really well so man I, i'm torn i really don't have um I man i could tell you an answer but i but it'd be made up you know i honestly think it's 50 50 and it depends on the day and it depends on what they want you know Obviously, in the in the timber, a cut down has some advantages. Um, obviously, with with as loud as it is, and kind of how that thump of a call travels through the woods, it's you know it's you can almost feel it in a way. You know, now with these J frames, um, you know, as advanced as we're advancing in technology, if you want to call it that. It, they're starting to get a little bassier too. They're start, they're starting to get a little thump to them. So that that's you know the origin of the monarch have a little thump to them too. And uh, you know I think that's what's giving us advantage, and I think that's what's making a lot of guys fall in love with the calls is because that's a little bit of the different differences from your your previous calls that have been on the market to to what we have. Now, I'm not saying our calls are better. I'm just saying those are the elements that we like in a call that me and Travis have in common that we like and we don't see a lot of that out there so 
that's kind of what we're going for. Like the origin, you know, I, I, you know, you run a little bit heavier reading the origin and then you can almost blow it like a cut down. Um, and then the Monarch, you know, you have it tuned, uh, you know, pretty much how, how it comes out, you know, you can put a little bit of thump on it too, if you're, if you're uh, manipulating your air right too. So, I, you know, I, I really can't give an honest answer. I can give you an honest answer, but it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. Um, it just depends on the day and it depends on what they want. You know, it's, that's really interesting when you say that, because I've, I've noticed the same thing. My, like I said, my, my go-to tends to be a little higher pitch tone. And then, mine too. Yeah. And then there's days, especially, it seems like, especially later in the season, there's days when they just absolutely ignore like, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, you'll have birds come ripping, ripping over and you hit them with that mm-hmm. higher pitch call. They don't even, they don't even pause. They, they don't even pause. Yeah. But, just keep going. Yeah. And so it's and like, I start. All right, all right. And I break out that deeper rattlier tone mm-hmm. and the next one you hit them with it and it breaks them. And all of a sudden you yep. got birds. They don't even, they don't even look. They're just, okay. And invariably when that happens, it's like obvious if you're paying attention and you're willing to switch mm-hmm. it up, you're going to notice a difference more than likely. And yeah, that's where having multiple calls on your land, you know, I, I like to run, I like to run an acrylic. I like to run a single read with a high pitch. And then I'll run a, I like a wood call. I like having a double read. I like having mm-hmm. different lengths, different barrel lengths, all because it's yeah. different notes, different tones. And I can, mm-hmm customize what i need to do that day yeah i always start with a higher pitch that's just that's just for no reason other than that's just what i like to do that's the only reason i always start with a higher pitch call if that's working that's what i'll use that day but if i start to if we're calling and you know we and they're just not seem to really be doing what we want them to do well then i'm all right i'm gonna use that let's use another call and you know i usually I kind of start a higher pitch and I just start dropping my pitches as we go. And you normally, you know, you start with a monarch or one of my, uh, you know, it'd probably be, probably be the monarch and, and then my new style J frame call on my custom side. And then uh, the origin, then my old style um, J frame and then the cut down. You know, that's, I'm talking about dropping tone there, dropping, you know, dropping the pitch of the call. Um, that's usually how I kind of, work my way down if i'm gonna if, if i'm calling that, that's how i do it um i don't know if it works or not but we've seemed to be pretty successful doing it so i'll that's probably what i'm gonna keep on doing yeah that's um, cool that's cool yeah because i make i make different calls people have asked me and it's confusing to a lot of folks and, and right. I make, this will be a great great time to explain it I, I make different calls on the custom side of things thompson handcrafted i have different calls that i make by hand versus what Makers makes makers is a combination of Travis and I's both sound, and then Thompson is my specific sound. That's kind of what I like to do personally. Um, so maybe that's a little little blurb there. About no, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that because I know you have mm-hmm. two different companies going on, and and yeah. folks can check them both out. You're on social mm-hmm. media all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. you got, obviously, you have websites. You know, you got everything out mm-hmm. there that people need. Yeah. So cool. Well, Colton, I, dude, this has gone fast. I appreciate your time. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'll let, you, I'll let you get, I'll let you get gone, but you need, to, <laughs> you need to grab Corey wages and come out here next year. Man, I'd love to go out to Wyoming is one of those states that I've never been to. I want to go. 
I want to go hunt somewhere different. I'm big on hunting somewhere different. I want to, I, I don't know what y'all do out there, but whatever it is, I want to do it. So yeah, I mean, we do. Like yeah. I said, we, we hunt a lot of rivers. Um, when it got cold, we were hunting some hot ponds, some geothermal, mm -hmm. geothermal water that doesn't freeze, um, which is really nice for the dog. You know, you put a, a dog on a super cold day when it's, you know, maybe four or five degrees outside and you put your dog gets to go and fetch ducks out of 48, 50 degree water. That's kind of like a hot tub. Yeah. Them, you know, they like that. Oh yeah. It's like, like a redneck hot tub, you know, it gets so yeah, hot down exactly. here. The, the, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It gets so hot down here. The river feels like pea water by the time. Yeah. No. Uh -uh. Yeah. Uh -uh. I, know I don't have that about. problem. I don't have that problem yeah. here. I can, I can work dogs on hundred degree days out here as long as we're in the water. But yeah, uh, no, man. yeah, so we do that. Um, <laughs> when we get weather, we can hunt birds in the dry in dry fields. You know, this this man, year we didn't have yeah. a single dry field hunt. We didn't have a single one. Our weather was so stale, and there was times, you know, a couple of couple of buddies I know be like, "Dude, we smoked them last night. The last thirty minutes of daylight, like that's yeah, that's awesome." But I was at work, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's always the way it goes. I hear you, man. No, we, I, yeah, I'd, that's love, our I'd love to put you guys up. That'd be, that would be fun. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I got one question that I'm going to end with. I think I know okay. the answer, but I'm going to let you do it anyway. If you could only hunt one bird one way the rest of your life, what's it going to be? Green heads in the timber. All, <laughs> all you southern boys are the same. <laughs> I'm telling you, I love going other places, but if you gave me one bird, one place, green heads in the timber, that's just how it is. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's definitely bucket list for me. That's that's for sure. One did you appreciate things. no? Did you appreciate the no hesitation? Like you can oh, just it, tell that it's always it's exactly. always that way with you guys. It's always that way. Always, with you guys. always. No, I love it. It, there, it must be I, super special because you guys all say the same thing and you don't hesitate. But um, yeah, man, cool. it's I just different. Time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad we were able to finally do it. Um, yeah, me too. I uh, I'm humbled that you asked me to do it. So we'll uh, we'll knock it out again next time. Heck yeah, man! Yeah, we'll have you back on maybe next year, sometime in the future. When you do a new call, let me know. We'll get you on and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds cool. good, man. Appreciate you. Yep. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. See ya.